I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And we are here to talk about the Mets doing some stuff. This is uh, this is fun. It's it's nice to have actual stuff to talk about. Yeah, it is a, uh, a welcome change of pace from the earlier part of the offseason when they were understandably getting, you know, getting things in, in working order <laughs> after the purchase. And uh, also just most off-seasons of the past 10 to 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. And it also seems like, you know, the Mets made a move that is not necessarily like the move that fans wanted. But I think because there's just obviously a steadier hand at the till slash more money in the coffers, I haven't seen people freaking out as much over this as I thought they would. Right, and obviously you're referring to James McCann signing a four-year deal with the Mets, which I think everybody listening is already well aware of. But <laughs> yes, you know, for the last few weeks, uh, and especially over the last I don't know seven to ten days leading up to that signing, when you know when it sounded like it was going to happen, but we didn't really have uh, confirmation yet. Um, <laughs> Admittedly, it's not like, oh, wow, that's a, a, a super, you know, exciting kind of signing. Um, JT Realmuto is clearly a better 
player right now. Um, we don't know the particulars of what made the Mets make that decision. Uh, but the fun thing about being a fan is that you can have a little bit of reservations about something. Uh, and then the second the team signs a guy, especially in an offseason that feels as upbeat as this one so far, I think it's easy to go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, okay, I hope all of his gains were real as a hitter and as a defender over the last couple of years. Um, you know, this is a guy who was non-tendered uh, two years ago. So, uh, you know, he's he's been a much improved player uh, in the two seasons since. And one of those seasons was very, very short. So uh, the the rational part of you probably is like, hmm, okay, I hope he's good. But uh, I, I think we can also rationally say, He's an upgrade over what Wilson Ramos turned out to be for the Mets over the last two years. Um, and he is certainly an upgrade over what would they, you know, what they'd have if they just did nothing um, and went with in-house options only. So uh, again, you know, it's not a blow you away kind of signing, but it's one that you can look at it and say, okay, I can see how this works. Um, and, and, you know, it's a position that they absolutely needed help at. Yeah, I think it's um, it's important to remember that free agent catchers are rarely great signings, and that like it, Lucas Blahos wrote something on this on the site today about uh, the grading of the deal, and he had said that you know if you sort of take away twenty twenty, he's like a ninety five. Uh, I think it was WRC plus catcher. And for a catcher, that's 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 pretty good. Yeah. That's 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 a that's well above average. And even though that's not maybe what you'd want out of the position ideally, that's a that's a good place to be. And I I had seen a couple of people uh, who are better with numbers than I am sort of comparing Real Muto and McCann, if you extrapolate McCann's gains over a full season, and if if that's all legitimate, they are very similar players in terms of their value to the team. And so it's, McCann likely cost about half what Real Muto would cost, maybe even a little bit less than half. Um, and again, it's not my money. I don't care if... If Steve Cohen wanted to sign Real Muto for a billion dollars, I I should have no opinion on that. Not my money. Um, but I understand that if he's trying to build a team with somewhat of a budget and you can get a player that is close to the same value for half the cost, I understand intellectually why, why he would do that. Now, that's a big if. It's a big, big if to say that Real Muto and McCann are going to be similar players if McCann keeps up the production that he had in 2020 because who knows if that's going to happen. But I also think that there is something to be said for a an offseason that has relatively few big fish. You probably can't get all the big fish. And the Mets have enough needs that I understand not wanting to spend top dollar on all of those positions. And I think if you're looking at center field, I think the drop-off between Springer and the next available free agent center fielder is bigger than the drop-off between Real Muto and McCann. And even though I am not particularly a fan of this player, I think if they're going to go after Trevor Bauer, 
I think the drop-off between Bauer and the next tier of pitchers is probably also larger than from Real Muto to McCann. So if you're going to make a play for one or both of those players and you have to sacrifice Real Muto for it, I understand that. That's not what I would have done as GM. I want to make this very clear. I still would have gone after Real Muto, but I understand the thought process if that's where they're coming from. Yeah, and I I think as fans, too, it's important that, uh, you know, we have, uh, at least if you're a Mets fan of of a certain age, we have experience watching one of the best hitting catchers in the history of the sport play for the Mets uh, and and hit that well while he was a Met uh, in in Mike Piazza, obviously. Um, So I think it's important, and even if it had been Rio Muto, this point would still stand, you know, obviously he has a stronger offensive track record, but I think what you have to hope for and, and expect out of McCann is a catcher who's better than Travis Darno was when Darno was a Met, you know, not, and not even necessarily by a lot, but just a little bit better than the overall package that you had with Darno. And I think Darno was a little underappreciated by Mets fans because he didn't turn into Piazza right. as a hitter. Right. But you know, he was solid. It's not that surprising that he's found success since the team let him go for no good reason. Right. Um, or at least under circumstances that made no sense. You know, there was the, we've talked about this many times, but there was a logical reason that you would say, okay, we're going to non-tender Darno. They just held on to him, let him play for like a week, and then released him for no reason under that, you know, uh, that context. So, so yeah, I think... With McCann, um, you just have to have that expectation that he's going to be a respectable hitter, uh, maybe even an above-average hitter for any player, uh, you know, regardless of position. But if he's a solid defender behind the plate and he's a solid hitter, um, that's that's something significant at that position. Um, also. <laughs> I know I will admit that once so far I started typing Brian McCann, which is we don't like Brian McCann. Right. We don't we don't want to we don't want to type that. We don't want to say that. Um, so similar to the broadcast professionals having uh, a sort of swear jar for when they were calling City Field Shea Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> if a Brian McCann slips through once or twice, it's just you know the name has been on the brain for. Uh, such a long period uh, with him having been on on the Braves for so long. So, um, and also, I, I I must say, you know, we we really didn't hear much about James McCann until recently. You know, both because he's he's not in division, he wasn't in the league, and like you said, he was non tendered two seasons ago. He wasn't a player that necessarily leapt off the highlight reel for you. So this is a relative. This is one of those. I guess this is my biggest fear about about this. Every now and then my um sort of regional ignorance comes into play when it comes to free agents. I remember when the Mets signed Carlos Beltran, I was aware of Beltran. I knew he was a good player. I thought before I did research like that's a lot of money to pay that guy because I wasn't super aware of how great he was. I had seen him in the World Series and I had seen highlights here and there, but you know, I just didn't I didn't have the same understanding of who he was as a player. And sometimes you get schooled and you realize, like like I did with Beltran, like, holy shit, that guy is much, much better than I thought he was. Other times, you get the signing where 
you think, well, he played on the West Coast or or insert not National League East here. He he's probably better than I realized, but it's just a guy who had like a hot season or a hot off season, and then winds up being a signing that everybody kind of jokes about a couple of years down the road. McCann has those vibes to me. I'm not saying he's going to be that guy, but I could see him being that guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, my my cousin, the Twins fan, um, is glad that he's out of the division. Um, my experience with McCann. As, as a fan, was that I had him on a fantasy roster for a couple months last year. <laughs> um, and it's funny, I think a lot of the time, uh, fantasy sports in general, and, and baseball in particular, in our case here, can be a way that people have a perception of a player that doesn't necessarily mean anything about how that player is, you know, in real life on, on a baseball team. But you, you come across some guys who you might not otherwise um, – look into you know if you were just watching the Mets or just watching the Mets and um some other baseball you know um and kind of similar to your point there with with how you initially reacted to the Beltron signing um I had a Mets fan friend a little worried like oh that's kind of a lot of money for a backup and and you know to be fair he's he's been on teams that have had other good catchers on them uh, you know, so he doesn't have that workload that a starting, you know, your, your number one catcher would have. And, the, you know, I, I get that. But I, I think right now we can at least comfortably say that he is a starting caliber major league catcher. Yes. Um, hopefully he continues to thrive and, and either maintains the improvements that he made or even gets a little bit better. Um you know, I know being over 30 is, is somewhat of a sin in the baseball <laughs> world, but uh, I don't know. He's not 37. He's 30. Right. Um, and I think, that, you know, players always have to sort of deal with this double-edged sword of playing time. If you've played a lot, it could either be perceived that you're durable or that, oh, you have, you have too much mileage. You, you hear it more with pitchers. Right, but uh, obviously, catcher is a is a physically taxing position. Um, even you know, even playing baseball as a kid, I never uh, caught. And you know, if I need to crouch to do something around uh, around the house, <laughs> I'm it like, sucks. how does somebody <laughs> how, how does somebody do this for nine innings? Uh, so, so yeah. But it point being, it you know, he hasn't logged tons and tons of innings. So in theory, this is not somebody who you're going to look at in two years and say like, oh, can he play left field, you know? Right. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, I will also feel better about this signing if they do go out and sign a backup catcher. I did a piece a couple weeks ago about the two catchers that were non-tendered, and I came out of that piece feeling more confident about the skills of, of one or both of those guys as a as a backup. Um, you know, I, I think that Tony Walters is a a defensive improvement over what the Mets have in house, but probably not an offensive improvement. Um, but I would say that um, Kirk Asali is considerably better than anyone else the Mets could have backing up. McCann 
And that's also the type of guy who has played more than the average backup. So if McCann doesn't have the stamina to go however many games the Mets want him to go, I would feel better with Casale at as the backup than somebody else who who similarly hasn't logged a lot of innings behind the plate. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, just looking at that free agent list, there, I I think Casale would probably be my top choice. Um, but you've got some guys out there: Tyler Flowers, um, Kurt Suzuki, Mike Zanino, and I can't really get a sense of what those kinds of guys are going to get in this free agent market. But I don't know. They, it seems to me like even those guys and maybe some others who are out there who have Austin Romine too, you know, you don't need your backup catcher to be amazing. So that that's a position that, okay, the off season shakes out a little bit. Um, You know, every team's kind of got their starter lined up. Who's left out there? Let's get somebody in here with major league experience, whether it's uh, emphasis on you know defense or hitting, um, whichever way you want to go with it. But just so Tomas Nito is not your backup catcher if everyone's healthy on opening day, um, you know it's. It, I think coming off this strange short season where there was no minor league season, um, I'm not saying people are forgetting what a normal 162 game season is like and and what it's like to have minor league rosters and you know have multiple players playing on a regular basis so they're ready to go uh when injuries inevitably do happen but i'd much rather nito and ali sanchez be the syracuse catchers and you know mccann and someone be the major league catchers and then you fully expect that nito Sanchez or maybe somebody who's younger and even lower in the minors might get some major league plate appearances over the course of a full season next year. Um, you know, but this is the kind of thing that if, if one of these guys, guys is out there for one or two years at you know, one, two, three, four million dollars uh, per year, that's the kind of thing that if Steve Cohen is trying to emulate the Dodgers, uh, that's an easy way to get a major league caliber caliber player without really having to put anything into it, um, you one, know, relative to a major league team's budget. Yeah. One note, though, I believe Nito is out of options. Mm, okay. And so I don't know. I mean, again, when you're not pitching pennies, the idea of losing a no-hitting backup catcher shouldn't be a big deal when you're talking about roster construction. And I would think that you could maybe even release him and sign him to a minor league deal. Right. Potentially. He, he had 26 plate appearances this year and hit very well in them, but <laughs> they were 26 plate appearances. And, and hey, to be fair, you know, he hasn't had that many, uh, you know, on the other side of things to show that he's you know, at, at never going to be a major league hitter. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it if they got a solid backup and had to risk losing Nito because I, I have a feeling he would stick around uh, if he wasn't claimed. Right. Yeah. So I would I would think that it just makes sense to do a uh, to do a deal for a minor league catcher and take your chances at Nito being in the system if he doesn't get claimed. 
Because I, I don't I also think that Ali Sanchez is cheaper and younger. I mean not cheaper, they're probably about the same price, but you know, younger than Nito and probably not that much different of a player. So you have other you have other backups in case one of your players gets hurt. You don't want to go out and get another catcher. There are still going to be catching. There's still catching depth in the minor leagues. I don't think Nito is worth. I don't think Nito's major league. Uh, I don't think his lack of minor league options is a reason to keep him around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other McCann thoughts? Um, the video he posted recently or during the season that surfaced after he signed where he was doing a jig with his catcher's gear on. That was cool. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's neat that he was childhood teammates with Jeff McNeil long, you know, I think they were 13 or something. Um, you know, so not, not, not even that recent, but it, those kinds of stories and connections are, are always fun. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Marcus Stroman tweeted that he was excited to work with him. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure it's funny as a fan. You look at it and you're like, okay, 750 players or 776 players now. You know, with one extra man on each roster mm-hmm. um, next year. Uh, that sounds like a lot of people, but it's not that many pitchers. It's not that many catchers. You know, it's. There's enough of like a just fraternity of like guys who are in the league. Yeah. So I'm sure pitchers have word get around about all sorts of things. You know, um, they're all trying to compete with each other, of course. But I think there's some shared information <laughs> as well. Um, so, you know, obviously uh, – I don't think any player would go out of his way to trash a new teammate publicly. Uh, and Stroman's online enough that, you know, he he's, um, you know, pretty likely to, to say something. Trevor May as well. Um, but still, you see that kind of thing. And, and to me, it reads as genuine. And uh, if you're making your pitchers happy with the catcher signing, that can't be a bad thing. Agreed. 100% agreed. All right, well let's let's move on. There's one more uh, player signing we're going to talk about very briefly, which is that the Mets signed Jerry Blevins, RL Palgordo to a minor league deal which could net him up to I think it's 1.25 million if he plays uh, enough innings in the majors this year. And that is a that's a really good depth signing. First of all, Jerry Blevins is one of the good guys in baseball. He seems like he is not at all the sort of stereotypical uh, dumb jock. He's a funny guy. He's a big Seinfeld fan. He's good on Twitter. I like having that guy on my team just because I like that guy. He seems like a ball player I would actually want to hang out with, which is not something I say a lot about ball players. Um, so that's good for that reason. But also, this is... You know, the Mets bullpen was messy last year, and we've seen a lot of small incremental moves to give the Mets options to hopefully stem some of that bleeding that happened last year when you got past the top one or two pitchers and everything else just fell apart. The Mets have brought in quietly a lot of players for bullpen depth, and they're still out there talking to people like Luke Hendricks and Brad Hand possibly, so... While they may not remake the bullpen entirely, it's nice to see them take steps to make sure that they have options for themselves. And 
cheap options, which again I shouldn't care about as a fan, but I'm so conditioned to be a Wilpon, <laughs> to be a, a a fan of a team Wilpon owns that I was like, oh, this is a really good deal. I shouldn't care about the deal at all, but I'm trying to re rewire my brain at 38 years old. Right. <laughs> uh, any Blevins thoughts? I I like it a lot. Um, look, he you know he didn't he didn't participate in the 2020 season, but he was solid in 2019. Um, you know, sure for in baseball years, he's, he's a little on the older side now at, at 37, I think. Right. Yep. Uh huh. So, you know, uh, I'm not expecting him to come in and, and necessarily be as good as Justin Wilson, but, um, he was solid for the Braves in 2019. Uh, really his worst, major league season over the last few years was his 2018 season with the Mets. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, there's every reason to think he could still be a capable bullpen arm. And, uh, you know, when there's really never a bad minor league signing. Um, right. So especially because the, fact the Mets that, don't have a lot of lefties right now. Yeah. 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 The fact that he's, um, you know, familiar and, uh, you know, has been reasonably productive. Um, I don't know. He he got some big outs for the Mets. You, you remember those things. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm on board. I I would like to see them still, you know, go get whether it's a sign a signing or a trade, preferably a signing. But uh, I'd like to still see them get some more bullpen help, but. You know, it's uh, not too much of a stretch to say that Blevins could be a better reliever than Gazelman, Jacob Barnes, Brad Brock, maybe even Dylan Batansis, you know. Yeah. Uh, even though, obviously, there's an emphasis on getting him in there against left-handed hitters, um, I, I think he's got a good chance of being better than Daniel Zamora in 2021. Um, and if they go and get other left-handed relievers who are better, you know, Brad hand is still out there. Um, okay. That maybe that bumps Blevins when you get to the, the end of spring training and there isn't a roster spot for him, but um, you know, if you got the kind of lefty who isn't geared to be a specialist and is just a good reliever who happens to throw left-handed um, there still may be a slot in an eight man bullpen for somebody like Blevins. So, you know, the fact that they tendered Gazelman, the fact that they, uh, you know, agreed on a, a salary with Barnes, that's a major league salary. The fact that Brock has a major league contract, but could, you know, could be released without really harming the team's finances in any, uh, you know, significant way. Um, I am all for bringing in, more and more relief pitchers because you just don't know um you don't know what health and you know just competitively what guys are necessarily going to look like um you know in Blevins's case coming off not playing uh, a major league game uh in this calendar year um and even guys who did you know you I don't want to freak out too, too much about Brock and Familia and Batansis and even Miguel Castro, who they, you know, traded for during this season. Uh, 
because it was just a short amount of time. You know, I want to buy in that Edwin Diaz is totally fixed and back and because, you know, his numbers in this short season looked like what we thought he was going to be when they traded for him. Right. But I don't want to read too much into that either. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it. the more minor league signings you can make uh, of, of guys who could be part of a good bullpen – uh, and, you know, if you're talking the sixth, seventh or eighth most important reliever on a team, that's not a ton of pressure. Not at all. So at all. this is a good so, yeah. thing. Yeah. And <laughs> somebody, I forget who it was. So apologies to who, whichever person this is on Mets Twitter. But, you know, somebody was saying, uh, you know, like we, we go all out for for everything. So, you know. James McCann, great, and like Jerry Blevins getting a reaction uh, almost uh, on a similar level <laughs> from from Mets fans on the internet. Um, you know that is uh, it, it's an endearing thing, and you know the fact that he's uh, a good guy who um, you know seems to get it and and isn't you know full of himself. I mean, I feel like quirky relievers kind of by nature need to be that way yes but but yeah this this has been us talking about jerry blevins for almost as long as james mccann <laughs> hey he used the green man's ms paint uh portrait on twitter that that gets him like a lifetime uh beer bought for him at any amazing avenue event and gets at least 10 minutes of podcast chat we should we should try to uh, also get him to come to an Amazing Avenue event when we are uh, having events again, when that's safe for everyone. Yes, we should. And have him come on the podcast. Yes. For one of these segments. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm in. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So the other bit of news we should talk about here is the Mets signed a general manager. Now, I know what you're saying, listeners. You're saying, how did James McCann sign? They didn't have a general manager. They can't do any moves without a general manager. Well, believe it or not, the Mets managed to do a couple of moves without a general manager. As crazy as that sounds, but our long national nightmare is over, and Jared Porter has been hired as the general manager for the New York Mets. Now, Porter worked for the Diamondbacks most recently, but also the Cubs and Red Sox. Uh, Apparently, he was the runner-up for the uh, Angels GM hiring that just happened. And everything you read about Porter makes it seem like he's a smart, um, you know, good-to-work-with front office person. The problem with us analyzing things like this is until somebody works in their own 
until somebody is sort of the head of their own department someplace, it is very hard to do any sort of um, real analysis of their skills. So I like that people I trust like him, but I have nothing to add to this really. Do you? Um, yeah, nothing too in depth. You know, we're recording before he does his introduction. Uh, I, I doubt anything too crazy is going to happen there. I, you can start to get a sense of what someone's like when they're, you know, talking to the press on Zoom uh, a little bit. But you know, he's not going to come in and say, "Oh, by the way, we've made five moves since I got here yesterday." Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you can't really judge until you have things. Uh, to judge him by. And then I'm sure um, there will be some period of time that people are trying to figure out whether, uh, whether Porter really wanted something, whether Alder- Alderson really wanted it, you know, uh, sort of divvying up and, and assigning either, it. <laughs> yeah, right. Credit or blame. But, you know, from everything you're, you're seeing, um, I guess my thing is like, even Keith law complimented this move. um and you know he he, like a lot of national coverage type of uh baseball people uh they get accused of hating fan uh, not fans well maybe fans but certain teams (laughs) by fans uh all the time but you know i would say that someone like that who who rarely had a kind thing to say about how the mets were operating under their previous owners is uh is a good sign, you know, that you have reactions that are sort of, okay, the consensus was that this guy was on track to, you know, get a job at a a higher title than what he's had. Um, You know, he's worked for organizations that have won World Series, you know, the Red Sox, the Cubs. Um, He's a Theo Epstein guy, and Theo Epstein is one of the more uh, regarded names in, in baseball front office machinations of the last 25 years or so yep so yeah so yeah there's uh you know and I, i'm look if theo epstein ends up working for the mets in a year once he's done with his uh contractual you know commitment to the cubs uh I'd, I'd be on board with that i've never you know i'm not one to look at him as like a savior but this is somebody who is also well regarded has lots of success uh, you know, working in front offices um, and has helped two teams that had very long droughts, to say the least, with World <laughs> Series uh, champ- championships to get there and and, and win those. So, uh, yeah, all of that said, you know, uh, I, I don't put Epstein or anybody who's worked for him on, uh, on a pedestal, but at the same time, um, you know, getting some people in who have that that success, that experience, um, it, it seems like a good thing. You know, for for a move to get praise like that, uh, it seems like this is the kind of person who um, could excel in this environment. And you know, ultimately, a general manager is carrying out what ownership wants them to do. Um, so, yeah. I'm I'm on board. Uh, you know, until he does something that I hate, I'm in. <laughs> and again, we will be debating who who did the move you hate. So, yes. you know, we'll see. He's probably fine. Um, 
And the last bit of business I want to talk about before we get to our music picks is that this weekend the Mets did a, a drive-through uh, event for um, season ticket holders. And who happened to be there handing out the bags of goodies but new Mets owner Steve Cohen? Uh, this shouldn't be news. Shouldn't be news. But when we see how the Wilpons treated the fans with utter contempt at best, to see Cohen out there taking time out of his day to hand out these these bags of, you know, I don't even know what was in there. It's just, you know, it's probably just a welcome letter and a new hat or something. But to see him actually out there doing it was, I mean, kind of jarring for a Mets fan. Um, but, yeah, I mean, good for Steve Cohen. Again, I, I am loath to praise a billionaire, but the guy seems like at least in this part of his life, he gets it. Yeah, and he seems to be enjoying the uh, the little ride that he's on. You know, he he bought himself uh, being a public figure, and he seems into it. You know? Yes. <laughs> um, not that people in the finance world didn't know who he was, and uh, you know, even in the baseball world, he had you know had one of those minority shares under the Wilpons when they really were uh, you know on the brink of financial ruin. Um, you know, with somebody the Dodgers. Was, yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, not that he's an unheard of guy, but he could have bought the team and said, okay, Sandy, um, go ahead, get out there, do all the talking. And, you know, I'm just going to sit here and, uh, you know, sign off on major decisions and, and, uh, you know, and all that, but he seems to be eating it up and, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few months, the next few years. Um, but, if they continue, you know, if they do sign George Springer, if they do fortify the rotation in the bullpen, uh, all in the first offseason and say, look, we didn't, I mean, I would still be fully on board with trading for Arenado or Lindor, uh, just to be clear. But if they just keep everything they have and, and sign Springer and, and get that pitching help um, and hopefully a backup catcher like we talked about earlier, you know that that's really getting out there with a, a first off season to say, okay, you know, we clearly improved the team, and that's something that we're always going to be looking to do. Um, you know, you can you can do that, and it can go very well, and it can still potentially go poorly, um, even if you have the best plans. So, um, I'm curious to see, you know, what kind of public presence he maintains over the course of a season. Uh, and all that, but, you know, in his introduction, he focused a lot on, uh, you know, the fact that he has a day job and that owning the Mets is not his day job, which is an interesting thing, uh, to put to scale for those of us who also have day jobs and do this as our yes. not day job. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, it's, uh, it's just, Good to see. Uh, if you told me a year or two years ago, I guess a year ago, you, you, Cohen was looking like he was going to buy the team. So two years ago, if you had told me that uh, you know the Mets owners were going to be out at City Field doing an off-season thing in person, even if you know, and I know they had season ticket holder events and and that kind of stuff. So it, it's not that they never showed up to that, but 
I don't know. It, it's uh, a positive day, you know, easygoing, upbeat event, uh, and not not one where if the owners show up, they're showing up to get yelled at by, you know, by their <laughs> most loyal customers. Well, it, uh, it seems to me like if the Wilpons had done something like this, there would have been a press release about it. Like, come, come see the Mets and the Wilpons at this event. Like, it would have been it would have been branded as something that the Wilpons were doing because look at us, look at how great we're being. Whereas Cohen didn't, there was, there was no news he was going to be there. He just showed up there. It was, it was not about the spectacle of it. It was about, he wanted to be there for the fans or at least that's how it appears. Right. Or, or with the Wilpons, it would have been, uh, you know, select invitations and a press release after. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Hey, look, some fans showed up and they didn't beat up Jeff Wilpon. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, apparently, the Wilpons, I believe, kept a box at City Field. We'll see. Oh, yeah, we'll see how they do there. <laughs> yeah, I would assume in the uh, you know in the level that's between the what two and three hundreds. Oh man, don't go to a game for a year, and I'm I'm forgetting section numbers. This isn't me. <laughs> but between the field level and the the um the middle one. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You know, not not one of the Seinfeld boxes where it's a little easier to be seen. Right. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's probably uh, a fortified bunker. Yeah, uh, that, <laughs> that people cannot see into. Yeah, they'll have like plexiglass up that they leave up after COVID's <laughs> over as just a you know. Oh yeah, no, we 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 just want to be safe. Exactly. Yeah, it's bulletproof glass too. It's not not just uh, not just plexiglass. It's bulletproof glass. <laughs> oh man so uh yeah that's that's what's going on in Mets world maybe we'll be back before Christmas or New Year's to talk about another um another signing which would be a lovely thing to uh to talk about but but who knows if if that's going to happen so what is what are you going to pull out for your last music pick of the year Chris um so I'm trying not to do any repeats and my easy one already happened earlier. The last time we recorded King Gizzard had put out a new record. That's an auto wreck. You know, that was easy. Uh, but I will say I, I'm pretty sure I haven't recommended this uh, live recording. Uh, I know I've recommend, recommended some OCs or theoses or, you know, they, they vary, uh, from album to album or year to year, what the official name of the band is. Uh, but I know I've made some OCs recommendations this year, but they did a uh, live, you know, live set filmed out in the desert, um, you know, with the band and, and a small crew. And in their case, it was outdoors. Uh, and that was released uh, I don't know if you can buy it as as a record or anything, but it's certainly available on Spotify. I think you can buy it on Bandcamp. So it's just called Levitation Sessions Live. Um, and they, they've got another set coming up um, this week. What is it? Is it the, yeah. Yep, this week. Uh, but this one already happened, and it was a lot of fun to watch it. Um, I've been into these streaming sets more and more as the year has gone on, and I wish everybody would release – these recordings because 
they're playing these shows, they're playing them well. If you played it and you're like, oh, that, that show didn't go so well, I get it. But like, if you went out there and really played a, a great set, uh, I encourage you to just put that on the internet for people to buy or stream. You know, I also think that we're we're still calling these things live streams, but oftentimes they are very produced, <laughs> which yeah. is fine, which is totally fine. It's not, but it's not like you know every Wednesday and Friday John Vanderslay sets up his iPhone and does live stuff. That that is not the kind of sessions we're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, this is you know top notch production. Um, the sets from the Village Vanguard for for those who are into jazz, those have been legitimately live mm-hmm. uh which is which is cool um at least i think they still are i know when they started doing it like you were watching what was happening in the venue um but either way it's you know just fresh sets of live music and and uh you know i know i know everyone's mileage varies in terms of how into these things they can get uh but for me it's just a, a good show is when a band is playing something that if it sounds just like the record, that's that's fine. But when they're playing it either at a different pace, um, with a different intensity, uh, or or just you know mixing up a good set list, even if the songs do sound you know very on point with what they're like on their on their records, um, it's just a fresh thing. So that's my rec. OCs, Levitation Sessions. Uh, only about an hour long, 16 songs, but it's it's really good. Uh, you know, if you like them, there there's a few songs on here that are like, you know, among their best takes of those songs. So, yeah, that's that's what I've got. Nice. How about you? Well, I was going to say, you and I were talking last time about the Primus live stream that was going to happen, and that happened this weekend, and it was excellent. And they did something I have, I've never seen a band on one of these live streams do before, which is that they unveiled, like, they had, I guess... I don't know if this is stuff they were doing live. I haven't seen them live in almost 20, over 20 years now, so I don't know. But they were, like, combining a couple of songs into these, like, almost medleys. Like, they were doing one of my favorite songs of theirs, Those Damn Blue Collar Tweakers. And in the middle of it, they put most of the song Lacquerhead. And then went back. Yeah. And, like, I, I love when bands do that sort of stuff. And so it really kept me on my toes watching that set. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. I have seen them live uh, a bunch over the last few years. And I, I think that was... I'm not saying it's not happened at all, but it definitely was, it stood out in, yeah. in their live stream. Um, so yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. That's okay. No. So, um, my, um, my album, it's going to be a Christmas album. I'm, I'm actually a, a, a pretty big, uh, Christmas music guy, but not maybe the traditional Christmas music people think about. Um, I, I do love all that stuff. I'm a big sucker for Christmas, and having having two young kids, it makes it very hard to not be into Christmas this time of year. And uh, m- w- one of my favorite Christmas albums is, is um, you know, there are a couple I like that I think are, are more standard choices, but this one is one that I absolutely adore. It's by John Fahey, who's an acoustic guitarist. Well, he was. He's now dead, unfortunately. Um, but he played in a style called American Primitive, which is a... Uh, it's a very terrible misnomer because it's not primitive at all. It's very hard to play that way. Um, but he's influenced tons and tons of guitar players. And he's he, he sounds like two or three players playing at once most of the time. And he has an album called uh, The New Possibility. And it's uh, an instrumental guitar Christmas album. And it is just absolutely beautiful. There's a bunch of really, really 
great songs in it. I particularly am fond of, he does a medley of Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Oklahoma Ye Faithful, but everything is just really, really beautiful and really, um, it, it, it both, it's one of those things that I, I think sometimes doing traditional songs can be tough because if you don't add your own spin on it, it just sounds like the, every other version you've heard of it. But if you add too much of a spin on it, it doesn't sound like the thing you want it to sound like. And so he manages to put his own spin on things just with an acoustic guitar. And it's, it's, they're just, they're beautiful. It's one, one of my favorite uh, albums. I, I've, I have a tradition in my house almost every day of being the first one up. And so on Christmas Day, whenever I'm the first one up, I always put this album on as I'm making coffee and just sort of getting ready for Christmas. So that's my recommendation, The New Possibility by John Fahey. Nice. Yeah. We'll enjoy that next week. I will. I hope to. <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll see. The, the kids are so into Christmas this year, I can't imagine me sleeping past them right now. I feel like yeah. they're going to be up you know, very, very early, but we'll see. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate it. Uh, if you're celebrating Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. If you're celebrating Christmas, happy uh, Merry Christmas next week. Whatever you celebrate, we uh, we appreciate you listening to our show. We appreciate you being a part of our community. And 2020 uh, has been a weird year, but it has not been a particularly. Uh, it, it, it's it's been a year that I I just I keep struggling to express it. Like it seems crazy to me that I watched 60 Mets games this year. Because it doesn't feel that way at all. Um, on the other hand, in the middle of the season, it felt like it was. It didn't feel that different than a regular season. I don't know. It's just been such a strange year. And one of the things that got me through it, and I'm sure I speak for everybody at Amazing Avenue, was the Mets and the community we have at Amazing Avenue. So thank you all for being a part of that. Um, we may do another episode this year. Like I said, we don't know. Um, we could do a music episode too. Maybe we we, we did. The, we've done that in the past, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the last couple of years we did it between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. So maybe we'll do that. We'll be back with something before the end of the year, probably. But until then, go to AmazingAvenue.com. Check us out on uh, social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Uh, you can get this podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets and happy Halloween.